One that loveth him that begat, loveth him also that is begotten of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not grievous. For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world and this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Who is he that overcometh the world but he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God. Now, the book of First John is one of those little books. And by the way, bring greeting from Brother Newberger in North Brooklyn Baptist Church. Had a good service there this morning. And uh, praise the Lord, was able to get back over here. And uh, I, I love to preach out, but I, I like to be home. And uh, so just praise the Lord as they're having their first anniversary. And... Um, I want us to to look at a passage of Scripture here uh, that uh, is most often just kind of passed over a little bit. And and, uh, what we want to do is just examine these few verses and and then try to make an application here to us today. But we start in verse 1. It says, Whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. Now, John has been making this statement through the book several times, and he is uh, closing his book here. This is the last chapter of this short book, 1 John. And he wants us to get this, that whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. Now, to be saved, to be born again, which is what John is speaking of here, you must believe that Jesus is the Christ. Now, that's so simple. And I'm not trying to make it complicated this morning, but I I want you to understand that it's not just saying... He is Lord. It's not just saying Jesus... Whoa, what happened? Okay. Uh, I I thought something was a little different there. Uh, It's not just saying that Jesus is the Christ. The Bible says, Whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ. Now, If I believe that Jesus is the Christ, there are some things that we get from other passages of Scripture that have to happen in your life. If you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Bible says very clearly, unequivocally, without any doubt, without any complications, that you cannot be trying to earn God's grace by the things that you do. Because if you believe that Jesus is the Christ, you must believe that he was being honest and being truthful when he said on the cross, it is finished. It never ceases to amaze me that I meet so many people claiming to believe in Jesus, but denying the fact that he said it is finished because they're trying to do the things that Jesus said he finished on the cross. Now, if you want to get somebody really upset at you, 
Find someone that knows how to do something. Uh, next time you're walking down the street and they're pouring the sidewalk. You ever watch them as they finish out that sidewalk and put all the texture on it uh, and, and everything is done and the guy's standing there looking at his finished work, then just go up and write your name in it. You know what? You're going to get somebody upset at you. Why? Because you're messing with something they finished. I remember uh, when I was a Bible college student, I, uh, my first year I got a job uh, polishing floors in a nursing home. And uh, my boss came to me and said, you're going to do the dining room. And the dining room, well, it was probably about half again the size of this auditorium. It was a big room and said, there's no way you can do the whole thing in, in, uh, in one shot. You're going to have to do it in parts. And so we moved everything over to one side and I put down, uh, stripped the old wax and cleaned up the floor and did all the process. It was probably about uh, five or six o'clock in the morning when I was putting the last coat of wax down. And I came in the next day to do the other half and the kitchen staff had moved everything back to the over, other side and dragged one of the furniture hutches all the way across and just put a big gouge through all three coats of wax and ruined the whole floor. Tell you what, I was not happy. But how insulting is it to Jesus Christ to say, I believe that he's the Christ and then try to work on the things he said he was working on. Amen? You see, if you believe that Jesus is the Christ, it excludes you believing in what you can accomplish. You know what else it also excludes? It excludes you believing in any other person or group of people. It excludes you believing in a church. Now, I, I make no bones about it. I believe that uh, if you want to find the right kind of church, you, you found it right here. Uh, because what we try to do here is teach the Word of God, all of the Bible, from cover to cover. And, and we spend a lot of time, our main goal, the main thought, the main thing that we try to accomplish here is help you understand what the Bible says. But, but I want to be clear this morning, if you believe that Jesus is the Christ, then you must believe that salvation is in Jesus alone. It's not in the church. It's not in any man. It's not in a baptistry. It's not in things that you can do. But the ideal, the understanding that Jesus is the Christ is believing that He is everything. He is the only source of our salvation. He is the connection between God and man. And by believing in Him, I can be saved. That's what John means when he says, Whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. That's all you have to do to be saved, is believe that Jesus is the Christ. 
But that means you've got to stop believing in everything else. Amen? And then he makes another statement here. And everyone that loveth him that begat, loveth him also that is begotten of him. Now, the word begat and begotten uh, are old English words. Uh, it just simply is, past, uh, is different tenses of the word born. And, and it's simply saying here, if, if you love him that begat or is the father of, if you love God the Father, you will love him also that is begotten of him. You will love the Son. Now, this was a note historically. If you were here uh, Thursday night, we were talking about how to study and understand our Bible. And, and, and you must put this in the context. John was a Jewish man. He was one of the twelve apostles. He was writing to other believers, but primarily to those that had a Jewish background, because there were many people of the Jewish faith that said, Now listen, we worship the God of Abraham. We understand this thing about God uh, the Father. He's our Father, like He was Abraham's Father. And, and there's a relationship there. But this Jesus guy, we don't know much about Him. And what John was saying, listen, if you love the Father, if you love the Father that you profess to say that you love, you must love the Son. You cannot love the Father and not love the Son. You cannot believe that Jesus is the Christ... And not understand a simple doctrine. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Ghost. And if you go down to verse 7, it says, These three are one. You say, Pastor, that doesn't make sense. Good. Because if it did make sense then you wouldn't be getting what the words are saying. Because three can't be one in any real sense of the word except for God. God is trying to reveal himself to us and let us know that he is bigger than anything that we can comprehend. But John starts us out saying, Whoso believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and everyone that believeth... And loveth him that begat, loveth him also that is begotten of him. And then he goes to the next point. You see, if you believe that Jesus is the Christ, if you are born of God, then verse 2 naturally follows. By this we know that we love the children of God. Now, wait a minute. You see, it's easy to say, I love God, isn't it? Is it easier to say, let's just stop and think a minute, is it easier to say, I love God, or I love this person sitting beside me? Well, the only problem is, God is not going to speak from heaven and verify or deny your claim of loving Him. 
Uh, but that person sitting beside you uh, might have a few issues with you making that claim toward them. Well, if you love me, you sure have a strange way of showing it. Now, we know nobody here would ever have that problem. But here's the second point. He's given us something that we can see and verify, something that we can put our hands on. It says, by this, we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep His commandments. Do you know that I am not capable of truly loving another human being until I have God dwelling in me and I have my love relationship with God straightened out first. Now, let me qualify that. I can have affection for other people. Uh, I can have great emotion toward other people. But we, we need to understand something. Uh, we just got through John chapter 4, and of course we didn't have time to... Uh, we haven't covered that, and we're not trying to do an expositional series on the book of John this morning. Just examine these few verses here. Is, is God is love. So if you're going to have love in your life, you've got to have God in there. Now, there's some other passages that are very difficult to understand. Jesus said, except a man hate his father and his mother and his wife and his children, yea, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. And I, I get tired of reading all the commentaries that say, well, the word hate really doesn't mean hate. No, well, if it didn't mean hate, then why is it in there? Um, Well, in comparison, if I compare my love for God to my love for my wife, my love for God would seem like hate compared to my love for my wife. Don't try that at home. It won't work. I mean, they write these things in commentaries, but I don't know what they're trying to say. What Jesus is trying to say is, until you're willing to set them aside and turn to me only, you'll never love them the way I want you to love them. You see, we can have great affection for other people. In fact, we can do wonderful things for other people. And normally, when someone does something very special for another human being, what is connected to it? Well, you know, back then when I really went out for you and helped you, it's your turn now. Has anybody ever had that happen to them? How many times has each one of us here done that to someone else? That's human love. 
There's always got to be a hook in there somewhere. There's always got to be the caveat, the, the uh, you scratch my back and I'll scratch yours. I got a better one. Go get you a back scratcher and scratch your own back. Amen. You see, it's a whole lot easier to understand what Jesus was saying in, in the book of Luke if we understand that we can't love those people until we love God first. If I want to love another human being, you know what the best way I can love another human being is? Keep Jesus' commandments. That's what this verse says. By this, we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep His commandments. Now, this is not popular. I mean, this is preaching that you're not going to get the first time you hear it, probably. You're going to have to think about this and, and, and wrestle with this a little bit. But let me give you some uh, a very mundane, uh, simple uh, illustrations, maybe, of this. Uh, when... When I, if I want to exercise love uh, or concern and care or biblical love for other people on the highways and roads of New York City, what's the best thing I can do? Obey the traffic laws. If, if I'm concerned, if I have love for other drivers, if I don't want to see them get in a wreck with my vehicle... The best thing I can do is obey the traffic laws, isn't it? Well, if I want to love other human beings that I have to live on this world with, the best thing I can do is obey God's laws. Because that will make me do kind and concerned and caring things For other human beings. What's some of God's commandments? Um, How about. Go ye into all the world. And preach the gospel. Isn't that some of God's commandments? If I'm going to love another person. What I'm going to do. Is I'm going to give them. The gospel message. Now, am I going to paint a big sandwich board sign that says the Pope is a dope and don't believe in uh, uh, Jim Jones and don't go to Guyana? Is that going to help people get the gospel? No, it's not. What's going to help people get the gospel is caring enough about them to open this book called the Bible and share it with them. Amen? You know, people won't listen until they know that you have their best interest at heart. And sometimes they won't listen anyway. But you remember in school, how many of you had one of those horrible teachers that just threw your paper back at you and said, you can do better than this. This is, this is not acceptable. Anybody have a teacher like that? I had a few, and I 
at the time, I was going, now come on. That's as good as so-and-so's paper. That's as good as their paper. Why am I? Because he said, you can do better. You know what he was trying to do? He was trying to love me. He said, I'm concerned about you. I don't want you to get by to learn how to be lazy and just get by on ability that you have that maybe someone else doesn't. I want you to put forth your best effort because that's good for a human being to learn how to do. Now, isn't it? You know, the next time when he did that, I counted it as a privilege because he had taken enough time to read that paper and help me. And I went to him and sat with him and he helped me go through that paper and order my thoughts and learn how to write a little better than I did. And I'll tell you, I learned more than that class than probably any ten others that I could imagine. Why? Because he cared about me. And here's what Jesus is trying to say here. He says, if you... Love the children of God, here's how you can know, is you love God first. You see, if I love God first, and if I'm standing in God's love, guess what I have that the world can't ever give you? I have confidence in God. I have security. Someone says, how can you tell all these people all this? I mean, I'd be so insecure. Hey, listen, if it were, if it were just me, I'd be just as insecure as anybody else. But I'm not telling you about me. I'm telling you about Jesus. And he's a wonderful person to talk about. You know what? He's, he is the answer to all of life's problems. When I choose to obey him, That's how I love other people. You know, Jesus said that we ought to serve Him through His church. So when I show up in church, guess what? I'm loving the people that are there. You're loving the other people that are here this morning because we encourage one another. You know what? We're praying for Brother Newberger that there'll be some people that'll get saved and get baptized and become members over there because that's how it starts. And some of you, Brother John will remember, and I'll tell you so many memories over there this morning and thinking way back to our first anniversary and and the handful of people that were there and and just thinking of of the different things that God has done over the years and what He's going to do in the future. I'll tell you what, I'm glad some people just decided to come and to stay. Brother John and I have often joked, he's, he's our longest lived church member because he's never heard me preach. Amen? He listens with his eyes, not his ears. And we serve God together all these years. And others, and I'm not trying to just pick him out, but just, and I'm not trying to ignore anyone else, but what I'm trying to illustrate here is when you choose to be obedient to God, 
That's love. It's love for God. But guess what else it is? It's love for the people around you. You see, love is not a feeling. That's why the world falls in and falls out of love. It's because they think it's a feeling. They think it's an emotion. And and sometimes uh, I've heard people say, well, the spark is gone. The, uh, the, the electricity is just not there. And uh, I've always challenged them. Uh, do you know what happens uh, when you take two wires and put them together, if there's current flowing through the wires, you're going to get sparks. But if you keep getting sparks, what are you going to get? Fire. (laughs) Burn down the building. Uh, You want a connection made that doesn't spark. And that's what love is. You don't need to feel the current flowing through the cable if the lights are on. Amen? And love doesn't always feel like love. But it always accomplishes its work because it's God working in us. You know, I am so thankful that my wife does all the things that she does. Cleans clothes and fixes food and, and, and how many meals and how many... I mean, you start multiplying it out. To, uh, there for a while we had uh, uh, all... Uh, well, we only had a very short time. We're all 12. We're sitting at the table at the same time. But uh, you get 10, 10, 11 kids on average over the years and... And uh, and us, that's like 12 meals. That's 36 meals a day. Start multiplying that out. I mean, that gets to be an awful lot of cooking and cleaning. And praise the Lord, the other children have grown up and learned to help and do those things. You know, there comes a point in some people's life where they say, you know, I've done enough. How many stupid movies have they made about somebody saying, I've done enough. I quit. I'm not going to be mother anymore. Mom's on strike. What keeps a person doing that? In fact, I don't know who found it, but they found this um, little video they made about people. And they said, we got a job application for you. Now, here's what you're going to do. You're going to work seven days a week, 365 days a year. And you never get a day off. Well, what about holidays? Well, normally holidays you work harder than you do on non-holidays. Well, what, what's the pay? Oh, there's no pay. Who in their right mind would do a job like that? Mom. And they said the one girl went, Oh, my mom did so much. I never said thank you. And I'm sitting here going... You're missing the whole point. Why does mom do all that? It's called love. Love is not a feeling. Love is a verb. Love demands action. 
And here's what it says. We can know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments. For this is a love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not grievous. You know, there's a whole lot of people that are doing things for God because they're afraid. Well, if I don't show up to church, God's going to send lightning out of heaven. No. But I'll tell you what, you'll miss the blessings that you were supposed to get while you're here. You'll miss the spiritual food that you were to get while you were here. Uh, you are the one that's suffering. You'll discourage other people. But it says if if we keep His commandments, this is the love of God that we keep His commandments. Have you noticed that this whole thing about loving other people has very little to do with other people. Are you getting that? It has everything to do with God. If we serve Him out of fear, uh, look at uh, verse, uh, just go back to chapter 4, verse 18. It says... There is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear, because fear hath torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. I hope that you don't do the things you do because you're afraid that God's going to do something to you. That's not a saving relationship with God. That's fear. God says, I don't want you to be Afraid of me in that sense. I I want you to love me. You see, if I serve God because of love, there'll never be a time when I say, well, after all I've done for you, can't you just do this one simple thing for me? How many of you have echoed that in your thoughts and in your minds? Toward another human being. Toward God Himself. That's an attitude that shows that we got a problem with love. When I go to another person and I try to manipulate them and I try to get them to do things because I want them to do things that will benefit me, I'm not loving that person anymore. And that's why we as a human being can't truly love another human being until we get God in there first. And as we truly love God, that gives us freedom to care about other people without expecting something from them. Look at this last verse. Last two verses, actually. For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world, and this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Who is he that overcometh the world? but he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God. 
Now, how many of you would like victory over the world around you? I don't know about you, but I plan on getting out of life alive. Oh, this physical body's going to die, but I'll be more alive the moment this body hits the ground than I've ever been because I'll be with my Lord. That's life. But we ask the question on a regular basis because we've got to keep a check on ourselves. How many of us have disobeyed God's word since last Sunday? If you're living, you did. I mean, we could get more specific. How many of you had problems on the way to church? Uh, I mean, it's there. And the Bible tells us that God wants our faith to overcome the world. It's absolutely amazing if you want to study history, the history of Bible Christianity. In 64 A.D., the Emperor Nero was using Christians as human torches to light his festivals at night. There were tens of thousands of people who were put to death who were martyred, who were fed to lions for the sport and the entertainment of people who watched uh, that process just because they refused to offer incense to the emperor of Rome. This was, this persecution process began less than 30 years after Jesus had died on the cross, risen, and ascended into heaven. We come to 300 A.D. And we just finished probably what was the most vicious time of persecution of Christians in the history of the Roman Empire in the 280s up until the 290s under a man named Diocletian. And he would actually send his armies into a town and murder every living person in the town because there were Christians in there. Uh, It looked like, and his desire was to wipe Christianity off the face of the map. And then there were several lesser emperors, and there was a great big struggle for power in, in the ensuing years. In about 303 A.D., there was a battle that was won. And who remembers the name of the next Roman emperor? His name was Constantine. You know what? Constantine claimed to be a Christian. Now, I want to be careful. There is nothing we know about Constantine that would give us any hope of seeing him on the right side of eternity. He he did not believe that Jesus was the Christ because when they had church issues, he said, well, I'm the emperor, I'll solve the church problems. Uh, That's not in the Bible, my friend. Jesus is in charge of his church. And once the emperor took over, it wasn't Jesus' church anymore. It became the emperor's church. And uh, that's why uh, 
historically accurate to say that Constantine, Emperor Constantine, was the founder uh, of what is now known as the Orthodox Church in its different branches uh, that have been developed over the centuries and things. It was Constantine that did that. He started that church. But I want you to get a hold of the point of history. There were so many Christians in Constantine's army that he decided that by him becoming a Christian would invigorate them to fight harder for him because they weren't just fighting for the emperor anymore. They were fighting for God. And he promised religious freedom to those men who were worshiping Christ under great persecution. And guess what? They did fight harder and they won the battle and he became the emperor only to set himself up as the next God. But that's the way the world does things. But let me tell you something. There was a period there of several hundred years where the true Bible-believing Christians did have freedom, some freedom under Constantine. You know who won? The Christians. Their faith overcame the power of Rome. You know what? This was repeated again with the Soviet Union and communism. You know, there are Christian churches operating today in communist China that the communist Chinese know everything about. In fact, we have American missionaries that are over there working with some of them. You know why? Because they can't stop faith. They can't do it. You know why? Because faith overcomes the world. Faith in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ is the most powerful influence in all of human history. No one has conquered it. You know why? Because you can't conquer God. But how am I going to get that faith? Well, I've got to believe that Jesus is the Christ. But if I believe that Jesus is the Christ, I'm going to love God the Father. I'm going to love God the Son. I'm going to keep His commandments. And in keeping His commandments, guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to love people around me. Why do you think that old Philippian jailer got saved? You ever thought about that story? Acts chapter 16? Here he was given Paul and Silas. They had been beaten publicly and... and, and uh, uh, were bruised and bloody and were said these, these riotous men, don't you let them out. And he threw them into the innermost part of the prison and locked them up as tight as he could and made sure that they would never escape. And about midnight, they were singing hymns to God. Now, how in the world could they do that? And it wasn't one of those... Uh, I must tell Jesus all of my sorrows. I don't know what song they were singing, but it wasn't a sad one. You know why? Because their love for God was greater 
than their love for themselves. Jesus had suffered much. And the fact that they could suffer a little for His name was an honor to them. They were thanking and praising God. In fact, God got upset. And He grabbed a hold of that prison and just shook it a little bit and opened all the doors and broke all the chains. Could you imagine an earthquake so specific that it only opened the doors on the prison cells and broke the shackles off? I mean, I like God's earthquakes. And Paul hears the jailer pulling his sword out of the sheath. That's the only explanation we can find in the Scripture. Because there's no light at this point. He calls for a light after Paul calls out to him from the prison and says, Do thyself no harm, for we are all here. You know what Paul did to that jailer? He showed him a little bit of the love of God. And the jailer was so overwhelmed. His next question was, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? You see, that's how faith overcomes the world. I don't know about you, but this morning... I'd like us to take a few minutes and do a faith checkup to ask God, what kind of faith do we have? Do we have a faith that overcomes the world or do we have a faith that surrenders to the world? Do we have a faith that allows us to live apart and above the filth and the thought process of this world? Or do we have a faith that when someone comes up, well, what are you going to do? The earth is four and a half billion years old and science proves that evolution is true. What are you going to do with that? That's what I'm going to do with that. Because science doesn't prove anything. You can't prove anything scientifically until you can repeat it. I don't happen to have four and a half billion years to try to repeat it. Therefore, I'm just going to believe the Word of God. You say, you're a simpleton. Yes, I am. I'm simple enough to believe that Jesus is the Christ. And by the way, there's a lot of good science out there, but there's a lot of science falsely so-called, and the Bible warned us about it. Just because you say it doesn't make it so. In fact, one mathematician went this way. I just saw the quote in one of my notes a while back. It said, if you took every particle of matter that makes up our universe and set it reacting with itself at about, uh, what is it, 10 to the 17th, or 10 to the 7th power reactions, that's uh, 10 million reactions per second. There is not enough time in the spans of what they claim that the universe has lasted, the 13 and a half billion years, for the 1,500 separate events that make the simplest life form 
to happen by accident in a row. Evolution is a mathematical impossibility. There's not enough matter and there's not enough time, even in 13 and a half billion years, to get one amoeba, let alone a human being. It takes more faith to believe in evolution than it does to believe that God spoke it and it happened. That doesn't take much faith at all. Not if you believe in God. Amen. He's a little bigger than you are. But I'll tell you what. If I want proof that this Bible is true, where I go to is how that simple people's faith and obedience to what this Bible says has changed the world. Over and over and over again. You know, what kind of faith do we have? If your faith is like my faith, it needs a checkup every once in a while. Hey, my faith is not producing what it ought to produce. Guess what? It's time to spend a little more time with God. And renew that love relationship the way it ought to be. Stop worrying about people. Start obeying God. And the people stuff will take care of itself. If I really want to love the people of God, what I need to do is love God first. You know what? If I love God first, I'll be a better husband to my wife. I'll be a better father to my children. I'll be a better pastor to the church. But if I just try to be a better father, I might improve on a few things. But being a human being, I'm going to run out of me and run out of time to improve things. But if I love God and be obedient to Him, He works on all 360 at the same time. Every part of my life. See, that's the kind of faith that overcomes the world. That's the kind of faith that we need. You get it by getting saved. It grows by being obedient to His Word. You know, if you're here today and you're saved, I recommend if you want your faith to grow, submit to the Lord in baptism and church membership and start serving Him through His church. That's what the Bible says we ought to do. Amen? If you're saved, baptized, a member of the church, you, you need to first submit yourself to the Lord and say, I'm going to be here every service. Why? Because it says, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together. These are simple things. I'm just going to be here. I'm going to make that a priority. Why? Uh, So pastor will be pleased with me? No. So that you can demonstrate your love for God. Because as you demonstrate your love for God, it's going to make it easier to love others. In fact, it will happen automatically. You say, well, pastor, I'm doing all that. Well, you're telling other people about Jesus? 
not me. I don't have the gift of soul winning. Soul winning is not a gift. It's a responsibility. In fact, tonight, our Sunday night service, we're going to start a short series on that very subject tonight. So I encourage you. If you want to be obedient to Christ, if you want your faith to grow, that's, that's the next step. Supporting missions. You know one of the hardest things to do? Is learning to sit still. Some God, sometimes God just wants you to sit still. You know... I'm one of those guys that always wants to be doing something. I just like activity. But you know, sometimes my wife likes it when I just sit still right next to her. And not do anything except be there. You know why? Because that's one of those things that people who are in love do once in a while. Would it be a terrible thing to just sit next to the Lord for a little while and be still? You know what they call that? Worship. That's an important thing. It's humbling myself and recognizing that He is worthy of me doing nothing. Of course, I can't do anything that pleases Him anyway. The only way I do anything that pleases Him is when He gives me the ability to do it first. Isn't that true? You see, if I want faith that's going to overcome the world, number one, I've got to escape the damnation, the punishment of sin. And the only way I do that is by believing that Jesus is the Christ. That it is finished. That He paid the price for my sins and He wants to call me His child. If you're born of God, when you become His child, He gives you the victory that He paid for on the cross. So why do so many Christians live defeated lives? Why do we live a life where it's grievous to do the things that God has commanded? Why do sometimes we go to God and say, God, you've, I've done all this for you. Why can't you just answer this one little prayer? Because God doesn't believe in selfishness. He just doesn't. He doesn't like it at all. He did everything for us. Because of love. It says he endured the cross despising the shame. You know, when you love someone, it never gets too much. You do what needs to be done. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you today. Lord, I ask that you would give us grace and honesty to look at our own lives and our own faith. 
and to be willing to admit where we are, understand where we are, that maybe what we thought was love really wasn't love. It was just a worthless emotion. And that we we need to get solid, real action back in our relationship with You. Lord, I pray that if there's someone here today and this sermon's been somewhat of a mystery to them because they just have never been saved, that You would help them to see their need for a Savior. And that they'd be willing to surrender themselves to You. Lord, We pray for those that are saved and just struggling with life. That they would realize it's not a problem with God. It's a problem with our love for you. And that we would allow that faith that saved us to make us more obedient to your word. That it would grow. That we would draw closer to you. Lord, we would spend some time worshiping you because you're God. Lord, I ask that you would work in our service this morning, right here, right now. And that people would make decisions that would change the way that they live. They would take that next step whether it be to simply believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved, or to be baptized and become a member, to serve you in the church, or just sit still. We ask that you would work, that we may be honored and glorified in you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together. The hymn of invitation, just as I...